Hello everyone, welcome back to Hood Chronicles. I'm Carla and that's Lauren. Hi! We will be sharing our thoughts and perceptions on the materials we've read for this episode. And just to be clear, we will not be reading the book or the article on the podcast. We will be discussing our impressions of the book or article we read and potentially quote some sections. And for this month, Lauren will guide us through uh, dementia theme, dementia, dementia themed uh-huh. articles. Yep. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's actually a really strange word to say. Um, mm. Okay, so the title of this book, or article, actually this article this month, is called Increasing Activity Attendance and Engagement with Individuals with Dementia Using Descriptive Prompts. Okay, so... Basically, what the the article is looking at is trying to increase the amount of time these um, residents, because I think they're in a group home, um, who have dementia, are engaging with other individuals as well as activities that are on offer. Um, And it's a nice, easy article for people to read. It's not very long and it's not a very difficult procedure, which I think is quite nice to share with other people. Um, Just a bit about the authors. I chose author because she came first, which means that she probably did the most work on it and she had the most information about her. And she's quite an interesting lady because even though she's done this article on dementia, in her like bio, it didn't really mention stuff about dementia, which shows some promise for some of us potential ABA people or BCBAs out there who don't just want to stay in the field of autism forever. Okay, so there's a few. I'm going to mention all the authors and then I'll talk about one in particular. So we've got Shasta Brenska, um, Eric H. Rudrud, I know it sounds like these are made up, Kimberly oh A. Schultz, <laughs> and John T. Rapp with double P. And they all come from the St. Cloud State University, which apparently is quite a um, well-known university. Um, I looked it up, and um, yeah, quite interesting. I think I mentioned something a little bit about her in her bio. Okay, so I got all my information about her from her website, her new um, organization that she started called Bright Behavior Inc. Inc. Com. Okay, so Bright and Behavior, American spelling, no U, inc.com. So if you want to find anything more about her or anybody else that's mentioned here, you can have a look at that um, website. So Shasta, it's hard to say, is that how you say it? Shasta? Yeah, I think so. Um, her experience ranges from implementing early intervention ABA services at the Croydon Avenue School, which is one of the top ABA programs in the country, in the in the U.S., um, she's gone on to be a leader of multidisciplinary patient care teams. So maybe that's where the dementia stuff comes in. I take it back. And the state director of the National Network of Health and Human Service Providers overseeing multiple patient care teams and facilities. You would think I didn't read and write this because I did not so long ago. But yeah, she must have had some work with people with dementia. I take it back. Um, again, in, two, in 2017, <laughs> she established Bright Behavior Incorporated, which serves and supports children um with whose age range from about two to seven who are diagnosed with autism, Down syndrome, and other developmental delays. And again, I got all the information from my website, brightbehaviorincorporated.com. So if you want to have a look, go and have a look. Quite a nice website, quite, quite interesting stuff out there. Um, so in terms of what the topic of this article is about, um, I'll describe a little bit more later, but basically it's a journal article to demonstrate the research conducted to assess whether describing activities that are available could increase the the person's 
activity attendance, or the duration that they're there, or the amount of time they're there, and engagement with other people. Okay, so they're in these residential homes, and they're given a description about what is available and where it would be, and the, the engagement comes as a sideline from that. Okay, so who is it for? Well, I toyed myself a bit about answering this question because I don't think the article is that jargony, which is quite nice. But then again, I know all the jargon, so maybe I'm not a good reference point. Um, you know, sometimes I'm like, no, it's so easy. And then I'm like, oh, okay, but we read these all the time. So I would say it's for ABA professionals who are interested in expanding their fields and interests or just interested in knowing what ABA can do for people, other populations. Um, I think people who support people with dementia, carers, nurses, support staff um, within care homes, with the support of people who understand how to explain any jargon in layman's terms. So, you know, let's say that I was asked to go and work with some teams in a, de in, in a residential care home. Um, I might take an article like this and go, I would like you to read this and then give it like a key, you know, like a key note of all the phrases and what they meant in English. Or I sat with them and I went through the article. So they could still benefit from the information without having to worry about jargon. I think, you know, there could be more of an overlap in terms of journal articles and research, which maybe could simplify their language and a manner of delivery so it could benefit others. Um, but I'm not sure whether there's some red tape that I'm not entirely sure about. Um, but I do mm. think that some of the stuff could be shared with bigger communities and bigger populations. But unfortunately, the ABA people or the Journal of Behavior Analysis are the gatekeepers to that. And I'm not here to decide who and what gets an information, but I think it's quite sad sometimes. I don't know how you feel about that, Carla. Uh, yeah, I do agree. I think sometimes, like, you can you can get a lot of articles on Google Scholar, but sometimes you either have, if you're not a BCBA with a login, if you're not a student with a exactly. login, you either, like, you, pay, you have to pay for the membership and stuff. And I, I don't know. I don't know if they could, like... Maybe they do, but maybe they could have promotions or they could say, you know, you can, instead of subscribing, you can just buy a few articles. But I've also heard that if you email the authors directly, they usually send you the article. Oh, okay. Um, I didn't know that. Like some people say, like maybe sometimes they'll charge you a little bit. I'm not sure. Some, I don't I know where I heard that. I like, having some flashback about that. So maybe that's yeah. true. Well, maybe sometimes they don't, sometimes they do. Like, I mean... If I guess sometimes they should be compensated for their work, Absolutely. which I get. No, so yeah. if someone, if I contacted someone, if they said, "Oh, look, um, do you mind just paying ten dollars to access the article?" I'm like, "Yeah, or yeah. right, or maybe well, for an depends on the article, or maybe yeah. depends how big the article is, because I'm yeah. thinking of CUs, but like yeah, exactly. five dollars. I don't, I don't know, I don't know, uh, but it's, I'm sure there's a, a just price that can be arranged, but. Yeah. I also just, yeah. You know I mean, what I mean? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, I was just thinking about it now. Like, I understand not wanting to share your work with other people, but I also understand that that could benefit a lot of people. So why wouldn't we Yeah, try? yeah. You know? And, well, and, and it's the thing, even if, 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 if Jabba did something like, you know, imagine you don't want to pay the full membership. You can do a partial membership where you have limited access. Like, you just have a number of articles you can download. Yeah. But it, the membership is reduced. Or, I, I know, just or organization, like, buys a thing and then everybody in the organization can access it. I don't know. Maybe they do this already and we're just not aware. I, do, I don't know. Um, I, potentially, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> um, you know. So, yeah, I just think, 
to me, I was just thinking about it now, like I think it's quite sad that there's people out there that having known, like I didn't know that ABA helped with dementia. I mean, I did in my uni course, my master's. I remember we had a lecturer from New Zealand and she, we did a course on it. And I thought, oh, that's so interesting. Um, and that's where it kind of my, sparked my interest. And then I forgot about it. And then I was yeah. researching it again now. Um, but I do think that it's got such good results for quite simple procedures and actually not a lot of expertise is needed for running some of these things, which I'll describe in a minute, um, you know, graphing it and looking at the data, maybe, but running the program and, you know, facilitating it, you don't need to understand too much detail um, because they define what engagement looks like very succinctly. Um, so, yeah, let me just go through the brief summary of the article, the content. So they conducted a reversal ABAB design, and I'll describe that briefly. It's basically you do a baseline um, to see what the behavior looks like without intervention. So no intervention, normal, normal behaviors. Then you put the intervention in and you assess for a bit and then you reverse it. You go back to baseline and check if the if the behaviors decrease or increase. It depends on what you're looking at. And then you introduce it again to see if there's an impact. Um, it's quite good because you can actually see whether an intervention is having impact because you've gone back to baseline. Um, having said that, sometimes I think the intervention has an effect on the next baseline, but that's just me. Um, it was basically... You're carrying over... Carried exactly. over effects, sequence exactly. effects, maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, um, and I notice that sometimes, and I think you know, I think that's I mean the the assessing graph stuff that you do in your masters, like okay, but I would say this because the graph is telling me that. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so basically they used an ABAB reversal design to evaluate the effects of descriptive prompts, okay, on residents present at an activity and the effects of low frequency prompts on engagement with activities. So you're going to see, again, it's written, you, you can understand it, but it's written in quite an awkward way. So basically, they're looking at whether someone describes what they could be doing. So they say to the to the resident, they go, um, you know, there's puzzles in that room. You guys love a puzzle, okay? And that would be, that's the only thing they would say, to this resident and that would increase the likelihood of them going to to that room to see if the puzzles were available the engagement i said was like a sideline effect so they assessed whether the engagement happened as a natural occurring reinforcement because they're at the activity so let's say it's bingo and there's someone else there they start engaging with the other member of um, the other resident or the other members of staff there um so actually really not difficult stuff to run you have to have set up activities which they do anyway in care homes um and then they just assess and again the engagement was defined very well in the article, what it looked like. So if you went and you could know exactly what they meant about that and whether you'd mark whether it happened or didn't. Um, and of course, you know, before they conducted any baseline, they conducted preference assessments, which is basically assessing your preferences. So someone says to, offers you two things and you choose one or offers you multiple things and you choose one. There's different ways to assess. Um, but they found out what the residents liked, their preferences through an assessment, and then they used those activities and then they described them to the resident to see whether they would engage um, for longer periods and they would engage at all and with others. So yeah, um, quite an interesting article. It's very short, as I said, but had effective results. Um, and as you can just as as I've described, it's not difficult to run. I mean, if these members of staff are, are around, this is what they would be doing half the time: is being with patients, helping them with their hygiene routines, and helping yeah. them engage with certain activities throughout the day, and helping them during meal times. So there's staff available. Um, they wouldn't need to take a lot of data. Um, 
and they would just need to set up activities. So yeah, I think it's actually really doable and really feasible. Um, what, what, so what, sorry, yes? sorry, Lauren. What were the ages? They say the ages for. Um, they did. I think that most of them, and and they also described whether some of them are physically able. So some of them are immobile. So they'll be um mm. taken in wheelchairs and whatnot. Let me look. Okay, so we've got uh, ranges from fifty-seven to eighty-seven years of age. Okay. Okay, and they're all diagnosed with dementia. Okay. Mm. Um, some of them use the assistance of a wheelchair, and some of them use just being able to move um themselves. So being able to walk there, um, independently. Um, which obviously, which, when they mentioned this, when they're in the wheelchair, you know, you can wheel someone somewhere in a wheelchair. They don't have a choice, really. Um, but they mentioned that they asked them and they got verbal consent first before taking them to the location. So, yes, there's an interim step there. But they are making yeah, provision yeah. for some of the residents that aren't able to access these things on their own. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so actually, I think it's well thought out. I mean, I think they, there's some loopholes, and you can read it if you'd like. It's free, yay, um, and <laughs> it's available in multiple different places, three different places. I put all the article, um, all the links, but ResearchGate has it, um, the PubMed has it, the NCBI, which I can't remember what it is, it's some medical one, has it, um, it also contains it, so they it is available in multiple different platforms. Yeah, we'll put, we'll put the links on when we do yeah. the blog post for this episode. Exactly. Yeah. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Did I enjoy the article? I did. Yes. Um, I thought it was very interesting as, you know, Carl and I are always looking to see how ABA can be used with different populations, as I mentioned earlier. So we're always striving to find out information about other, like, if it's environmental, is it crime? Is it helping with aged care? You know, so... Um, I think it's also a nice, simple, good procedure, which has good results, and it's easy to facilitate, as I mentioned earlier, and train others how to replicate the study. So essentially, people wouldn't have to know all the detail, what these things are called. We don't have to call it a preference assessment. We don't have to call it engagement. We just have to say, are they interacting with others? Um, this is what the interaction looks like. Can you mark if they do or don't? Um, and I think it's it's a really nice, replicatable study. Um, and also, why would people who work in a residential home and deal with really like quite bad cognitive and physical decline be excited about the fact that the, the residents they support would engage with others and engage with with some of the activities there I think that would be so nice if you've got happy residents you'll have happy staff or happier staff so I think it all works together quite nicely um, and I think also I really feel that this is where ABA could be benefiting many different communities um, as the procedures aren't difficult to follow or to understand, as I mentioned. Sorry, I'm repeating myself. And also, and if the data is collected and collated correctly, you know, someone else can put it together for you and it can have impact on even more places. So it can be like a rollover effect. Yeah. Um, could you, you know, could you imagine if they use consistency within educational facilities oh, <laughs> um, my to days. assess motivation of pupils? Hey? Oh, my day. Let's not <laughs> <laughs> never, never mind special needs schools, you know, educational oh. needs schools. But can you imagine if they were yeah. using just stuff like this, um, which is really simple? It's not difficult to run. Obviously, it would be on a much bigger scale because educational facilities have more people. But I just think, like, if the procedure's easy and you can run it quite easily, why wouldn't you be using it? And why wouldn't yeah. you be trying? No, yeah, um, definitely. So, so yeah, that's um, that's it. I think that's it for me. Oh, that was really interesting. Thank you. Because I, you know, we both have, you know, personal interest 
in in this area. So I definitely am going to read the article. Yeah, I've got a few other ones. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just send them over. Yeah, because I also saw these CUs about dementia, which I want to do. Yeah, um, I, I bought them. Because I'm quite interested. In... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I... yeah. Oh, to study forever. Exactly. Uh, so thank you, Lauren. That was great. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we hope you've enjoyed our episode of The Hood Chronicles. Our next episode will be on Monday, the 17th of October. And please rate, like, and subscribe. We are on Instagram as at ABA underscore Owls. We are chirping with ABA Owls on iTunes and Podbean. Facebook, we are ABA Owls. Or you can email us on aba.owls.uk at gmail.com if you have any queries, questions, or even suggestions. Thank you. Bye. (laughs)